Rocket finally wins the world. Corey Day breaks through with the Outlaws. Plus, we'll talk tires, tech, wings, and more. Let's go. It's Sunday, September 10th. I'm Justin Fiedler. This is Dirt Tracker Daily. I had hoped back on Thursday to have some new Dirt Tracker hats to share, but they are a tad delayed, so the new target for that is tomorrow. In the meantime, anyone who buys a Dirt Tracker logo t-shirt today will get a free can koozie and sticker with your order. You can grab something right now over at shop.dirttracker.com. We'll get the Sunday, uh, Sunday show rolling with the World 100 at Eldora. Leading into the weekend, track conditions were definitely a storyline, but big kudos to the track prep crew there. I thought the service was good all weekend. It led to some good racing, and we got a good finish in the 100 lapper last night. It exactly uh, is what we needed from tracks like Eldora during these big weekends. For nobody to even really notice the track and for the conversation to be about other things coming out of the race nights, that's exactly how it should be. I don't know if Tony Stewart being around more added, uh, you know, it kind of aided in things, but whatever happened, it needs to continue happening. Uh, the main complaints to come out of the world uh, were uh, obviously uh, against Hoosier and the tire failures the weekend. In most cases, when tires start to become a problem, it's right rears. But over the last few days, suddenly drivers were losing right fronts. Jonathan Davenport and Hudson O'Neill had issues in their Friday prelim feature, and there were more last night, including Devin Moran and Bobby Pierce in the main event. Both Moran and Pierce ended up having heavy contact with the outside wall uh, and ended up out of the race because of it. I don't know the details about all of them, but I saw comments about tire pressure things and camber being blamed by some. And I think, uh, you know, no matter what it is after the last few years, uh, you know, Hoosier's going to take a beating. If there's any sort of tire problem, everyone's just going to blame Hoosier no matter what. And during the situations, you always end up with the inevitable comments from people that the tire rules should be opened back up and, you know, for there to be a whole bunch more manufacturers and that competition would somehow fix all of this. But there's, that's not a magic bullet here. At this point, there were really only like two companies making dirt racing tires. And as soon as those, you know, those closed rules go away, then teams are forced to go with whatever tires work best on a night-to-night basis. That means tire costs go way through the roof as you'll need a bunch more options from each manufacturer in your trailer to be able to maximize performance based on track conditions. I know tire issues make everyone angry, but it's just not that simple. There were a few other weird moments through the weekend as well, including Matt Shepard's Nice Motorsports entry falling off the lift on Thursday. Both the car and Cody Summer, who kind of manages that team, went for a tumble off the lift. Uh, Cody did suffer some bruises to his arm and his leg, but supposedly was okay. He stayed all, all weekend and, uh, and, and the car didn't suffer any major damage. Summer told Kyle McFadden that the car jumped the wheel chocks as he was trying to unload it. We also had Ricky Thornton Jr. hitting the safety truck on Friday night. Uh, the truck was stopped on the track under a caution and I heard RTJ was like trying to communicate with officials or somebody outside the car and didn't see the truck until it was too late. Uh, the 20RT was fine and the safety truck just suffered a broken taillight. As for last night's main event, Great racing down the stretch between Hudson O'Neill and Jonathan Davenport. Felt like once Davenport was out front just past halfway that that might have been it. But O'Neill wasn't going to be denied. He drove the wheels off the Rocket 1 late to get back out front and score his first career World 100 win. It was the first for any Indiana driver and probably more importantly, the first ever for Mark Richards and Rocket Racing. There was a ton of emotion from everyone in victory lane and you can see how much the win really meant to all involved. Behind O'Neill, JD settled for second with Dale McDowell coming through the B-Main to go 27th to 3rd. Tanner English also had a big 25th to 5th charge. Big surprise drivers to miss the world uh, feature. Definitely uh, Tim McCready, uh, I think was one of them, Dennis Herb Jr. Uh, neither got close to B-Main transfers and, and obviously looked like they were struggling for pace, kind of in you know coming from the backs of those Bs. It's going to be so hard uh, to try to get through those fields. 
Uh, looking ahead, a lot of these teams will be back to racing on Tuesday with the Flow Series returning from their summer break. They take on February for $23,000 to win. Out in California this weekend, it was Gold Cup 69 for the World of Outlaws Sprint Cars. Last night's main event was dominated by young Corey Day. He led all 40 laps from the pole to score his first career outlaw victory, and he did so in a big event on the calendar. He'd been close a few times before against the outlaws, including last year at Bakersfield and Paris, and more recently at Skagit last week. Behind him, the real fun was the battle for second with Justin Sanders, Buddy Kofoid, and Dominic Selzy absolutely waging war. Sanders ended up coming out on top with uh, Buddy third, Selzy fourth. Brad Sweet was the highest finishing outlaw driver in fifth, and it was a bit of a tough weekend for the full-timers. Not a single feature lap led all weekend or any podium result uh, any of the three nights, including the two prelim nights. Um, and there shouldn't have been any changes in the outlaw standings. Uh, I believe the weekend was show up points only, so things remain the same as they were coming out of Skagit. Uh, along with racing at Chico, there was some tech drama through the event. Back on Thursday, a few teams were not allowed to run cars because of chassis tubing thickness. Uh, outlaw officials found a few cars that didn't meet the standards. And as I was told, it was actually a manufacturer issue and not necessarily a team or repair problem. This does happen a handful of times through the season where some local guys are found with chassis that don't meet spec. The tracks and series they race in normally don't go heavy on the tech process, and things like this fall through the cracks until the outlaws come to town. It sucks for those guys, but these are obviously rules for a reason. And then yesterday, there were a number of teams that were found to be running top wings that didn't conform to the outlaw rulebook. Uh, they were local teams that were all using the same wing builder, which is a, a local wing builder out on the West Coast. Wikipedia tweeted about it, with the rumor being that the teams were dimed out by someone to series officials. It was a bit difficult to understand what exactly the issue was from social media, but it was later told that the problem stemmed from the rear wing brace that connects to the sideboard being uh, that uh, brace itself uh, was incorrect. The wing sideboards must be at a 90 degree angle to that center foil or wing belly, and any kickouts on those sideboards are not allowed. If you're watching on YouTube, this is a photo that I had from, uh, I think, from World Finals several years ago. I think this is Darren Pittman's car. Um, and you can kind of see the braces and things like that on the back of the wing. But if you that furthest back brace on the right side, if obviously if that brace is a little bit longer, you kind of move it around, you can get that bottom part of the wing to be kicked out. And so it wouldn't be at a 90 degree angle. It'd actually be pushed out a little bit. Uh, and kickouts like that can give an arrow advantage and have you know been a problem in the past in a lot of different parts of the country, which is why the regulation exists. The rules are pretty clear on all of this, and you can find the information for yourself on pages 56 and 57 of the Outlaw Rulebook. Talking to some people last night, it's actually not that difficult of a fix. These braces are just riveted on, so it wouldn't have taken you know all of that long to alter them to get the wings back to spec. I think whether there was intent or not, I'm not sure the teams and the builder, you know, sh you know, it shouldn't be difficult for them to get things rectified, and there's no need to slander anyone over it. But as you can imagine, there was plenty of vitriol spouted on social media towards the series and its officials, and heaven forbid we actually enforce the rule book. My favorites are always that the series has it out for the locals, which obviously isn't true. And that just because these violations weren't found on Thursday or Friday, they should have just been let through on Saturday. Right, because nobody would try and cheat anything later in the weekend after initial tech on Thursday. The rules state very clearly that, quote, officials may at their discretion inspect any car entered for competition in any racing event at any time, unquote. The reason it seems as though locals get the brunt of these situations is because of their less intense local tech processes that I just mentioned a little bit ago. The outlaw officials see the top teams all the time, the full-time teams and then the big traveling guys, but they see some of these local teams only sporadically, and obviously this is the first time the outlaws have been to the West Coast this season. So things the locals can get away with or don't get noticed weekly, they get busted for by the more stringent national tech guys. It's not that hard to understand. 
And as for teams ratting each other out, it's actually a really effective strategy. It sort of deputizes everyone in the pit area to make sure teams are playing fair. Happens all the time at all levels of not just motorsports, but sports as a whole. All right, let's move on. And I'm sure the comments here will be super rational in all of this. Uh, with USEC this weekend, we got two of three shows completed back to Thursday night. It was Brady Bacon picking up the win at Devil's Bowl Speedway. He led all 30 laps, uh, held off a late charge from Robert Ballou. Friday at Texarkana 67 was then rained out. And then Saturday night, it was Matt Westfall picking up the win. Westfall hadn't won a USAC sprint car show since Eldora in 2006. It was his second career win. Uh, he rolled the bottom to uh, the victory and $10,000. Bacon, though, had issues, ended up 15th. And with Justin Grant running top five, Bacon lost the points lead now and trails JG by nine, headed to Circle City and Hobstot next weekend. At the test score of 50, it was a bummer of a weekend. Thursday rained out, Saturday rained out. They uh, were going to try again today, but as of this morning, everything is off as well. Uh, they're working on finding a rescheduled aid, and we should know what it is hopefully in the coming days. Tyler Courtney won the Friday night prelim feature where we had three different leaders and four lead changes in 30 laps. Lance DeWeese went seventh to second, and Zeb Wise finished third after leading early. He did have the four power back under the hood of the Rudine 26. Colossal Marshall team has a 14-point advantage on the 26 team with just three race nights left, plus whatever Tusky 50 reschedule we get. Looking at today's schedule, we were supposed to get the Super Dirt Car Series at Weed Sport, but as of uh, just a little bit ago, as I write this, that racing uh, program has been canceled because of weather. All right, that's it for the day. Uh, hope you guys have a good rest of your Sunday. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. <laughs>